Welcome to Pierosa Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 157. 157. And we are bringing you an amazing uh, interview today. And I'm really excited about this interview because the last time we were with these resellers, it was pretty intense. And uh, just to be honest, Pierosa Podcast got our tail handed to us. So it's going to be nice to have a, a conversation with these guys without uh, having to worry about um, losing so <laughs> losing. badly. And here's the thing. No hard feelings, right? We're, we're all in support of the winner. And this is our first, I think, international guest, isn't it? Yes, it so, is. And here's the thing. We have listeners throughout the world, which I'm kind of shocked about. We have people in like Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. We have people in England. We have people in parts of Latin America. And we have a, we have a, we have a good crowd mm-hmm. down under. So the first guest, all the way from Australia, we have the two Aussie thrifters that we're looking forward to our time together. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're about. Hey guys, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Brad. I'm Jazz. And together we are Tozzy Thrifters, reselling couple down here in Australia. Just doing our thing, going out, um, buying and reselling, sourcing from op shops, which is our thrift stores, <laughs> uh, garage sales, and anything in between to sort of make a dollar. So And selling on eBay. Yeah. Now, and it's strictly eBay. Yeah, we don't have a huge um, variety of platforms down here in Australia. Um we had Amazon come on board recently, but it hasn't really taken off. We have Depop. You can use Grailed, but eBay is definitely our biggest platform down here. So, Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit, how did you get started? Because you guys, you know, uh, are, are a powerhouse of reselling. You guys are doing incredible. I see how much you guys are selling and the types of videos you're putting out. Uh, what, what got you into this? Brad got us into this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it all started with um, trying to collect video games. So I had a bit of a, a thing for NES, NES and N64, which I, I still do. Um, and I was just buying like bulk lots locally and trying to fill my collection. And I was like, how can I like sell off some of this stuff to keep building my collection without investing so much money? Because we all know that video games are, you know, quite pricey and especially the ones when you collect that you, you want the, you know, the top end stuff. So it all started there. I worked out that I could sell stuff on eBay. And then I came across some US channels that were absolutely killing it. Um, one Aussie channel down here that was sort of doing really well. And I was like, you know what, let's give this a try. And then um, a few months in, I started showing Jazz some videos that I'd been watching and that's when it really kicked on for you, hey? Yeah, definitely. We enjoyed um, going op shopping together and going junking and searching through sheds and junkyards to find cool things, but we'd never really thought to buy things specifically to sell. We were really just selling your yeah. doubles of games but um once you showed me a few videos it was like oh hang on let me switch my perspective as uh, so how long ago was it that wasn't too long ago was it uh we probably yes. kicked off it was september 2017 so it'll be three years coming up that we kicked it all off um we sort of only started with a couple hundred bucks from selling that that collection and sort of just built from there so it's been a an interesting journey definitely <laughs> Okay, so the very so I did some research. I always like doing research. Mike calls it stalking, but <laughs> creeping on you guys. A I, bit. I like I like to see where people start, and I always like watching the first videos, right? Because every oh. well, it's okay. Listen, our first couple episodes of the podcast, we're like we we're like should we re-record those? <laughs> like it's even even our little intro video. At least you guys put your latest bulk buy as your intro video on YouTube. Ours, I think, is our very first video. Which no, no, it's not. It's a thrifting. It's still we we got some work to do. Anyways, so don't feel bad now. On it, you had a massive in-call. So my, my question to you on that massive in-call, was that like your first big purchase? And then how did you get to a place of feeling comfortable about it? 
we'd done a couple little ones before that um, we sort of learned from, I suppose, um, some successes and some failures. It's a good way to put it. We <laughs> learned from it. Um, and <laughs> for that education. Was, yeah, we we sort of, that one was, we knew it was going to be a great deal off the bat. And there was a couple of Aussie channels popping up at that time. When you're like, we're like, let's just give it a shot. Let's just throw it out there. Don't go back and watch that video because it's horrible. Yeah. It's shot in the wrong angle. It's like the worst video ever. But the content of the video was so cool. We wanted to share it. Um, yeah, we were excited about it. Yeah. So we're very lucky to come across that. It was a closing down um, ink store. Um, they had to clear out their stock and we just went in with an offer and cleared them all out. So yeah, we've definitely done one or two before that, but that was definitely our most successful and we're glad we could sort of start our journey on YouTube there as well. Yeah, we'd done some auctions and local pickups. I think we we bought some books at auction, which were a bit slow to turn. Yeah. And, uh, and we bought a lot of bras, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. which have also okay. been turning, but we still have some. So they were real learning experiences. Yeah, it's always fun when something from like day one sells, right? Like when you get a sell three years later and you're like, oh, I remember buying that when I uh, first started out. Like, I can't believe it's stuck around that long. Now, you mentioned, Jazz, about going junking and going and looking at people's sheds and stuff. What What's like one of the, the most interesting things you've found um, whether it's at a thrift store or at like a junkyard or someone's shed, like what, what's the thing that's like, this is a really cool thing. I mean, the things I pick up are usually like old bags and old typewriters, but I guess there's a bunch of mechanical stuff that we've had to look up and go, what actually does this do? Yeah. We found some insane stuff in the thrift store. Probably that jacket that uh, won us the, won us the challenge in the end was <laughs> a craziest item that we've ever found. Um, and I didn't really know what we had at the time. So, so that that's was a show race, racing jacket. So if you haven't seen that, that was on primetime treasure and that's, that's, that led to our demise, I think. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it was show racing jacket, correct? Yeah. Signed by our Nicky Lauda, um, at the last F1 race here in Adelaide. So, um, 35 bucks we paid, which was an insane price. Um, obviously I don't think they realized who'd signed it or mm. even had an idea of where it was from, but. Um, that was probably our course, like our best finding in the thrift store, I think. So did you, uh, did you get it certified or already had a COA? No, we had to get it, um, certified by PSA. So we sent okay. it over to the States just before COVID started happening. Mm. Um, I sat on it for quite a while cause it was one of those items I was like freaking out about. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to like get the most value out of it because some people that knew it were throwing some crazy numbers around and I was just sort of like a bit scared to do something about it. Mm. Um, and then finally got up courage to do it and then COVID hit. So I was like, I'm never getting this jacket back. Like this jacket's just going to float around in the ether for the next that six months. That just lives in America now. It's theirs. <laughs> but they were very good. Um, they authenticated it pretty quickly, sent it back to us. I think they said they sent it and we got it within seven days, which was awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so what yeah. did it get valued at? Uh, well, they just certified okay. the, um, the signature. They didn't value it for us. Okay. Um, but yeah, some of the numbers that people have been throwing out that sort of know that that industry have yeah kind of shocked us. Like I was expecting to get good money, but some people have been throwing around you know well over a thousand, up to two thousand, even more on it. Wow. Um, and to the right collector, something like that would be worth a lot of money. So yeah, it will depend if the right person is there at the right time. Yeah, yeah. just don't go to Vegas to Gold and Silver Pond. <laughs> uh, like that you probably won't get your best dollar there so hey okay i want to run through a lexicon real quick just for just for our our ignorant american listeners right so op shop is thrift store right yep yep junking is just like dumpster diving or just like going anywhere um 
salvage yards? Yeah, salvage yards, more, more that sort of. So, like salvage yard is recovered and stuff like that. What was that again? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so like, like, um, tip shops, like, um, rubbish, rubbish disposal areas that have like reclaimed stuff mm. before it's gone. Okay. Um, like places like that where you can find like stuff that people have legitimately like tossed to the curb. Mm. Um, I enjoy that. That's like the last stop before landfill where they go, oh, hang on. We're going to pull this out of the rubbish truck. Nice. Interesting. Do we have those here? You know, do I, I not know? I, we don't specifically, at least not in our area. Now, I do know people who do junk removal and oh, yeah. they kind of on the side will like do little cells of like, hey, come look through my stuff before I take it to the landfill. So I'm sure that's kind of similar. So is that is that accessible to like the public? Like you just show up and I want to look through your rubbish? Uh, it, it's more like <laughs> it gets collected on the curbside and then taken to like tip which is where all the rubbish goes so the actual facility yeah and then have a store yeah some of them have stores not many of them we've only got about two or three here in adelaide um and they do know how to charge which is quite crazy <laughs> considering it's being thrown out yeah um, huh yeah they're fun to sort through because you find all sorts of gems it's where you find things that you're like i don't even know what this does yeah. Interesting. And now you guys have Salvation Army, but they, you guys literally call it Salvos, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On yeah. the title um, of the store. Yeah, Salvos. Yeah. So they used to be Salvation Armies back in the day. And then I think they got bought out by like a more corporate company. Um, uh-huh. So now they change their name to Salvos, which is like a very Aussie thing to do. We like to shorten things and chuck OS on the end of it <laughs> or S on the end of it. Um, so same with like um, St. Vincent de Paul, we call Vinnie's. Mm, um okay so yeah we sort of we do that to a lot of things it's just like a a, i guess an aussie thing that happens (laughs) no it's good to know i mean i i'd love to go to australia sometime and just just visit but you know source and i think it'd be fun now thrifting is it is this is still called thrifting reselling all the same terms we've started saying it i think it's because we all consume a lot of american content so yeah australia is sort of very early on in their growth in the reseller space i think like okay I think there's probably, I don't know, maybe 20 or 25 active like YouTube channels in Australia. Um, so a lot of us consume American content and we kind of like change the way we talk about stuff to like suit the American market as well, mm. because that's, you know, it's a, it's a big market. So um, yeah, we just kind of adapt what you listen to, I suppose. Okay. That leads me on. I'm, I'm taking over here for a little bit. So my next question is, so in America, you know, whenever anybody starts a new YouTube, right? Like when we started the podcast, people were like, oh, it's because you guys at the market is saturated. Like no one's going to make any money. Da, 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 da. Is Australia in a place that, you know, people are going to start making those arguments or is it still pretty like you go and you're still shocked at what you find? Or is it, you know, is there kind of some resistance to you guys? Yeah, I don't I haven't really come up against any like negativity type stuff like stop sharing and stuff like that there are a lot of resellers popping up now um because i think it's more accessible to people more people are working from home now with all the the covid restrictions and stuff so i do think that there's more and more people coming in but as you guys would know reselling is not for everyone um mm-hmm. you might try it out and then six months down the track you work out you know it's a lot of work you put in a lot of hours to get money back so I'm not really concerned in terms of it being oversaturated. We're quite lucky where we are. We have a lot of thrift stores or op shops. So um, I think there's always opportunities. And you guys are in America. Like there's so many resellers in America. Like you would come against a lot more competition than potentially we do. Yeah, sure. but even even then, I mean, you know, we, we get those arguments all the time. Like you said, it's not for everybody. And at the same time, there is so much. 
There is so I mean I could I could source twenty four hours a day if I wanted whether it's online going to thrift stores going to garage and state sales going to, I mean just same as you guys so so that's great so you guys deal a lot with vintage stuff you guys don't do a lot of retail arbitrage we would like to but the opportunities don't seem uh, as accessible as in the U S we yeah. we don't have anything where we could consistently go and get really good RA scores. Yeah, we don't have like any like TJ Maxx in our area or Ross or anything like that. We actually have a TK Maxx, I think, coming to Adelaide soon, which will be cool. Um, we'll test we, it out. We don't really have too many like outlets or anything like that that are like really consistent with their sales. So huh. we've tried it a few times and done okay, but um, it's definitely not as accessible in Australia as it is currently in the US. If you get a good score, it's like hard not to tell everyone yeah. about it. Like, I can't believe this happened. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So what is your, you started off with, with video games and, and that kind of being like, you know, collection, personal collection, you wanted to grow into that. And then now you've obviously got a, a much larger operation going. So what is, what is your current like day-to-day operation look like? What types of things are you buying and selling? And you know, what is, what does your model look like? Um, well, when we're going out op shopping and thrifting, we're picking up a lot of clothes, shoes, hard goods, a lot more one-off items. Um, but then we also enjoy buying bulk. We recently bought a lot of video games. So nice. <laughs> we have a really big um, blend and we do like to keep our store pretty stocked with a range so that we're not niched down to one thing because when something goes a bit slower, something else might be picking up. Yeah. I think in Australia, like, our market's only 25 to 28 million, like maximum people that live in Australia. And then, yeah, you can sell overseas, but then you've got postage and stuff, which sort of knocks a few buyers on the head. So I think you kind of have to have a bigger range to drag in enough customer to mm. sort of keep your store rolling, I suppose. We keep it diverse. Yeah. Nice. That's that's great. That's like a pro tip right there. We talk about that on the podcast a lot is, is diversifying and being in a lot of different niches. So in case something goes wrong, or, or like you said, you know, one one area might be going down, but another is coming up and you can kind of capitalize on that. And also it gives you the freedom uh, to pivot and know when you're at a, a thrift store or an op shop, like you're not just narrowly looking at one specific thing. You can kind of see profit everywhere. So that's awesome. Uh, when you sell, are you looking to like hold on and get max dollar for the items? And, and even if it takes you like a year to sell it, or are you looking to get items in and get it out as quickly as possible? A combo again, mm-hmm. we, we have a lot of longer tail items, uh, some clothing, some things that we know the value of that maybe the right buyer hasn't come along yet. But we also accept a lot of offers and keep a lot moving through as well. Yeah, I think you do have to have like a good mix. Like we've definitely sort of um, adjusted our model as we've gone to sort of, you know, um, we like to sell stuff around that 45 to $50 average sale price, but we'll have those, you know, 10 to $25 items that sort of tick over bread and butter all the time as well. So and they create activity. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So when you, now you say you go to op shops and you go sourcing, but you're doing the big bulk buys. Are you, do you feel that you're going to move more towards bulk buys as you scale, right? Because you guys have scaled and to I looked at your numbers, you know, I went through the very beginning of your Instagram, right? And you guys were hitting <laughs> like a thousand, you know, over 60 days. And then it went to the 90 days and, and, you know, we had talked before the podcast, you kind of, and it all depends on your cost of goods and all that, but it looks like you're running almost full-time numbers, right? And, and Brad, you're working and Jazz just recently went full-time. Yeah. Do you see yourself moving more into the bulk because of scaling or do you see yourself doing still a mix of both? I think we'll always go op shopping or thrift thrifting because we kind of enjoy that. 
um, I think the bulk wires have really allowed us to scale to where we are now. And obviously we still have some scaling to do to make it a full-time job for both of us. Um, but I do enjoy buying in bulk because that's when like you do, you're cutting out the sourcing time, like that gains lot that we got, that's going to last us a very long time <laughs> in terms of listing. So it kind of cuts out all that time of going and finding the stuff. Yeah. You might not make, 10x like you would from an a thrift store and op shop but you've cut out a huge chunk of time trying to find it so i do enjoy bulk buyers obviously they're not always available especially here in australia like we've probably done five or six decent yeah. ones um through that sort of three-year period so when we come across them we'll jump on them but it's just coming across the money and we also just enjoy the hunt yeah <laughs> oh yeah so what are you looking for as far as ROI when it comes to the bulk buys? Are you, is it 30%, 50 Do you want to double your money? Uh, obviously, you always want to make well, as much okay. as you can. Yeah, <laughs> what, what we want. Okay, but what, what is the expectation? Yeah, so when I'm looking at the game lot, like I knew that quickly a lot of that stuff turns over fast. Okay. Um, as soon as I can get it up, I'm, I'm likely to get some decent sales, which we've sort of already seen. So on that deal, I was looking for at least um, doubling up on my money, which you're not always going to do in that sort of circumstance. But on that stuff, I knew how much was there. The guy that we're dealing with was quite reasonable in his pricing in the end. Um, so, yeah, I'm always looking to double my money. But there's been some deals where we've gone in for less than that, where we knew it was going to be really fast turnover and less stock because we have to hold a lot of that stock and list it, um, I wanted a little bit better ROI for sure. So, okay. So let, yeah, I know you have a full YouTube, so you don't have to share everything. Cause I want to drive people more to watch your YouTube video. Cause it's awesome. <laughs> what, what are one or two, I mean, you could share the Famicom again, but what are some one or two like awesome finds out of that lot that you weren't expecting? Or did you know everything ahead of time? Uh, I had a pretty good idea. Like, um, the guys that were helping us out took photos of like every box before we purchased it so we knew what we were getting. Okay, okay. But obviously there's sort of stuff like hidden under stuff and stuff that you don't really think is worth money until you look at it. And one thing that Jazz found yesterday you can probably talk about because you actually shocked me, you know, the um, Zelda stuff that you found? Oh. Yeah, so Jazz found this really cool item and she was showing me some comps and I was just like, no, nah, that, that can't be right. Like that's too much. Um, but it was real so yeah so i guess another favorite thing about bulk buys is that it kind of forces you to learn new things and something i know nothing about is trading cards huh. so one of the boxes it kind of had leftovers <laughs> in it it didn't seem like a high value mm. box that i was sorting through but one of the things was a full set of 2007 zelda twilight princess trading cards hmm. plus three of the really rare ones and we were absolutely blown away by the prices that these cards go for yeah so i think the gold foils were selling for about 130 up to 200 dollars each 100 bucks each and we had three of those so that's four or five hundred dollars on its own with the set and then we had the set which was sort of selling for around two hundred dollars so we just chucked the whole thing together for 699 and we'll just see we'll, we'll see <laughs> and, what happens uh, if someone offers us you know 500 bucks we're going to take it because it was a, a four dollar item like everything else in the in the lot so and we've learned something <laughs> yeah yeah no that's key i mean the, the fact that you're you're like you said i think that's again a pro tip and that's one thing i want you know when when our listeners listen to this there's so much that they take away because, I mean, many of our listeners obviously aren't in Australia. They can't necessarily connect with all of the, you can't say, go to this store, you're going to find this. But something like do a bulk buy and it forces you to learn, right? Because you, when you go to a thrift store, you go to a garage sale, 
you're looking at something and you know whether or not you want to buy it. When you do a bulk buy, you've got a box. It's already yours. Now you have to do the research, right? And so now next time you're out and about, you see something similar, you've already expanded your knowledge in that. Um, what are some of the other? So you, you did that game bulk buy and the ink bulk buy. What are some of the other bulk buys that you've you've done? Uh, one of the more sort of probably better ones that we did and we don't talk about heap is we purchased like this whole DVD collection, but he also had all these figurines and like box collectibles. And we actually went back to him and bought some vintage shirts that he gave us for like pennies on the dollar. A lot um, of pop culture. A lot of pop culture stuff. And we paid, I think it was 2500 for everything. And there was a set of Disney, um, Disney, Disney treasures, Disney treasures sealed, and they were like a limited run in the the metal tin, um, and they've been ticking. We've got about twenty or thirty of those, and they were selling for sort of a hundred to hundred and fifty each anyway. So we knew wow. just on that set we were going to make our money back. Let alone every other item, which there was thousands of DVDs, like sealed sets that we sold for two three hundred dollars. Um, and that's how we usually will look at a bulk buy going in is we can go, okay, well, we know that's just that item mm. that's going to pay. And then mm. there's also all of this. So, yeah. so I sort of look feel at, confident enough. Yeah. Look at that, like 30%. If I can see my, the value in 30% of the items, then I know it's a good deal. Mm. All right. So I, I want to run somebody through the process. So, because I mean, we've had, you know, we had like Mark Meyer who's done auctions. We have had other people that do bulk buys. How, how do you guys go about deciding like where to where, like where do you start the search and then what leads you to finally make that call um i've always got safe search ones on facebook and gumtree which is like our craigslist i suppose okay um gumtree's kind of dead in the water at the moment but um a lot of local stuff like auctions i'm always looking on there um and then i'll just start researching the items so if i see like 10 of you know, that ink, for example, if I see 10 of that same item, I'll go on eBay, see what, what that item's been selling for. And then I'm able to sort of ascertain if there's like, you know, good quality in what I'm looking at. You can sort of tell when you when you get more experienced, you kind of can glass your eye over things and spot value. Um, and that ink one was probably, it, it taught us a lot in terms <laughs> of what we should be looking for, um, what value we should be looking for. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, is there value there first? Then what can we get it for is the next question. Storage. If we can store it, which is always a problem. Um, How fast are these things going to sell? What's yeah, the sell through? through? Um, which is probably something we learned early on with like the books and the bras that we did. Did not look at that on the um, bras. They sell, but they don't sell that yeah. quick. <laughs> so it's just, I think over time you sort of, you work out what works for you and then you can kind of build on that knowledge. You can kind of sort of step it out and go, all right, well, yes, this is our projected value in future. How long is it going to take us to get there? Um, and how much time we're going to have to invest in that to make that money. And then I always come back to what's the worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> how could this go wrong? And what are we going to do if we get stuck with it? Yeah. So you're you're okay venturing out. Like so I'm I'm really a comfortable buyer. Like I I've I've come to I will only bulk buy on something that I have some kind of knowledge. Are you guys open to something you completely don't know? Like if somebody says, Yeah, here here's some random armchairs for a, a thousand office <laughs> chairs. Are you willing to buy this? There's profit. Like are you willing to make a move on something like that if it's profitable? Oh. Yeah, I've drawn the line on a few things. We got offered like a couple hundred sinks at one stage that I was just sinks? like, yeah, some guy contacted me and was like, do you guys want to buy all It was so sinks? bad, like, Jazz wasn't told. 
<laughs> no, she wasn't <laughs> told. That one was cut off straight away. It was like a builder that had like brand new unboxed sinks wow. and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely stuff we'll draw the line on. The probably biggest one that's been out of our comfort zone was the aquarium stuff that we bought. Yeah, that was um, new. <laughs> so we bought like uh, eight pallets of aquarium stuff. Like Eight pallets? Yes. Pumps, yeah, eight pallets. Yeah. Eight pallets. That's that's a lot of space. All right, we'll talk about your inventory space for a little bit. All right, keep going. <laughs> um, and yeah, we we paid I think four thousand dollars for that. Um, and I did research, and I I thought that pumps were going to be the thing that made my money, but it ended up being all the smalls, like all the yeah water conditioners, yeah, and stuff like that. So, mm. um, we made some good money on that, but we had to clear a lot of the like smalls out to get this big gaming lot in. So, we've probably I'd say we've definitely pretty close to doubled our money on that but yeah. it was well outside our comfort zone so we had to learn quite a lot but now we know if we're in a thrift store and we see a specific type of you know fish product <laughs> we've had experience with that now so we kind of get an idea if there's money there or not. you could have your own aquarium channel now uh, i know i'm not um i'm not very uh up to date with that sort of stuff but we definitely definitely learned a lot from super that. willing to learn yeah Nice. No, that's good. I mean, that that's correct. <laughs> I mean, to me, but the thing is, eight pallets. Like, I can understand one pallet. Like, oh, maybe yeah. two, but eight pallets. Like that. That's pretty intense. I think he told me four to start with. Yeah. Well, I thought I, I, I had. I was bidding on about twelve at one stage. It was an auction, um, and it kind of got towards the end, and I kind of had four, and I was like, all right, I'm not going to bid on anything else because four was enough, but. It ended up my bids on those other four were enough to get them over the line as well because I had towards the back end of the auction. So I ended up feeling I had to unpack it all into this like truck and it like squeezed in with like an iota of space. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's all, always a struggle trying to fit that stuff in a house or a property. So we had to do some creative storage uh, <laughs> solutions for that for sure. Wow. Nice. So um, two questions. One. Do you have a, a functioning fish tank right now running in your in your house? We do not. And oh, that is because bummer. we have a cat who would enjoy oh. it far too oh, much. Nice. We, had to, um, we had to section her off in the back of the house because a lot of the time she'll come up when we're live and just like sit in front of the camera <laughs> or like purr into the microphone. And we're like, oh, we, we can't have this when we're going on, uh, on you guys' channel. So she's uh, chilling in the back area of the house at the moment. Nice. All right. Well, so then that makes sense. Then the other thing is, um, do you keep anything like are there certain things that that while you're out and you buy and you buy it specifically for for resale maybe in a bulk buy and you're like you know what this stuff it's mine i'm keeping it and if so like what's what are those things we're usually pretty good like i, I have put a couple things aside from the bulk video game lot that we did as part of you know my collection um and if jazz finds a nice you know jacket or a pair of jeans that she wants for a pair of jeans this week um and that's okay. Like, you know, you, you sort of factor that into your model when you when you go outsourcing, you're buying it for, you know, five to ten to fifteen dollars and you know that you can sell it for, you know, fifty or sixty. So if you're taking one item, you're not really you're not really cutting yourself out of the market too much. You're doing okay. average out your cost yeah. of goods. <laughs> that's right. That's good. All right. So obviously you guys work as a team. What are the advantages and disadvantages of working as a team? <laughs> Ooh. Advantages are easy yeah. because we're getting twice the work done. Okay. We're luckily we're good at different things. Yeah. So we complement each other quite a lot. Yeah. So Jazz are you guys like in the zone when you're working or you guys get caught up in conversation and you're like, where did the hours go? Mm, most of the time we're pretty much in a zone. Like okay. Jazzy smashes out the photos. She's really good at um, making the photos pop. Um, I'm better at like drafting and understanding the market on items. So 
we kind of complement each other in that way. Um, and yeah, occasionally everyone gets distracted when they're listing and stuff. <laughs> but I think overall, when we get in that zone, we can smash through quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. What about disadvantages? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we spoke about this last <laughs> night um, because. I guess most of the time we work quite well Oh, yeah, together. we might have caused some strife. I didn't even think <laughs> about that. I'm sorry. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, you always, when you're working around your partner, a lot of time when I'm working from home now with my job, you get in each other's way, you have differences of opinions. Um, and when you're out laying big sums of money on bulk lots, obviously there's that added stress and that added complication. So I think 95% of the time we worked quite well together. It's that 5% yeah. of the time where we frustrate each other because of, you know, all the other pressures that we have outside of reselling as well, um, I think you just naturally have those moments in your life where you're like, you I know don't what? have time to yeah. think about that. I need some space <laughs> or whatever it is to, to yourself. So Do you know what? That doesn't happen very often. I'm I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, we, we, do, pretty we do all right. No, that's good. I mean, you could tell there's a lot of chemistry there. You guys obviously uh, have a good thing going. That's awesome. Um, so tell me, what is it about reselling? that makes, I guess, reselling special? Like why reselling? Why did you choose this as like a side hobby? What are some of the things that reselling has allowed you to do? And what would you say to somebody who comes up to you and says like, is this something I should do or not? I think, um, I think it was just, uh, you know, you get stuck in the day-to-day of working a job and going and working for somebody else. And, you know, you can put as much effort as you want into a job and, and not get some of the rewards that you can out of reselling. So reselling, you put in the work and nine times out of 10, you're going to get the reward. Yeah. Um, whereas in a, a corporate job, you could be absolutely busting your gut and the person next to you could be doing half what you're doing and you're on the same wage. You're not getting any promotions that you know, it's it's hard to level up in that world, I suppose. Yeah, I love not having that ceiling. Um, working nine to five, I knew how much time I was going to be putting in and exactly what I was going to get paid. Whereas mm. with this, there's a freedom where if I want to work twice as hard, I'm going to get probably twice the reward. So really, like the sky's the limit. Mm. The scalability is amazing. The flexibility is amazing. And it's something we enjoy doing together. Yeah. So it's a win. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, Pure Hustle 25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code Pure Hustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. 
This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so first of all is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. I really, I, you know, that's, that's a great perspective, right? Because I don't know. I, I, I think about my, I am not, this interview isn't about me, but before, no, no, Orlando, no, no but before it. I went you. full time, it, it's something <laughs> like it, it didn't matter how hard you worked at times. Right. It, you could have, mm. you know, some people, I remember when I was in education, some people just worked until three 30 and they're gone and that's it. And they got the same paycheck I did, but in reselling, yeah, you pull that lever or you push as hard as you want. And a lot of the time you, you know, you get burned sometimes, but most of the time ends up ad adding up to, having more money and then reinvesting that money and just scaling and scaling and scaling. So let's yeah. talk about scaling your space. So <laughs> you're dealing with eight pallets. What's, what's your inventory look like? Like I see, I see you're organized in the back, which is good. All right. Yeah. Do you have multiple locations? Is it all at home? Do you sleep with your inventory? Like how's it work? <laughs> there is a no inventory in the bedroom roll. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, that's my sanctuary. The uh, the spare bedroom is packed with stuff at the moment. Um, our lounge room is looking more like a bomb site than it usually does because our lounge room used to also be a sanctuary, but it's now my workspace because Brad's working from home in here. Uh, yeah, we do have quite a lot of storage. We're lucky in, in the house that we bought almost specifically for reselling, to be honest. Yeah, we do. Um, we have this room which um stores a lot of our well, this is probably I don't know what one fourth of our stock and then out the back we've got quite a large room um with the store yeah the store <laughs> where the store is and then we also have the shed which is where we sort of showed putting all the pallets of stuff for sort of our interim location before it gets into our actual store i suppose all right so do you have dedicated space like a dedicated space to take pictures dedicated space to i guess the <laughs> list yeah i mean do you have dedicated spaces or is it kind of Wherever I can Where? space. I can take pictures on the floor in yeah. here. So we've got box light, box light, and white uh, core flu on the ground. And yeah. that's my spot. <laughs> yeah. So we, we'll kind of draft in the lounge room, um, kind of grab a box at, at the moment. We're grabbing a box yeah. at a time. Um, do that box, bring stuff in here to photograph, and then it'll go into inventory from here. So um, we have a, a reasonably sort of um, streamlined process. Obviously, it kind of can get mixed up when your boxes laying around everywhere, <laughs> um, like we do at the moment. But in terms of our normal process, when we get stuff, it's usually a pretty quick streamline into the store listed and then into a, into a location. And then hopefully sold. Yeah. yeah. 
No, absolutely. I love that you have the doing the pictures on the floor because I think a lot of people get, you know, their mindset that pictures have to be a certain way. They have to have like some kind of professional studio set up. Uh, and, and there's a lot of tricks and tips you can use to get high quality pictures without having to have a professional photography studio in your house. So yeah, I think that's a, absolutely that's a great. Tip. We're, we're lucky like we've invested in some good, good quality lights. But yeah, in terms of like our core flow and that, it's it's just we buy it from our like hardware Home store. Depot. Um, yeah, I suppose <laughs> it'd be equivalent to Home Depot. So, um, you know, we haven't invested huge money and we just use our iPhones to take photos. So Yeah, as long as it's well lit and clear and you can see the item, you're good to go. Yeah. All right. So do you, do you see, I, I think I kind of asked this question already. Do you see a lot of competition when you're outsourcing right these days or do you, are you guys on your own? We yeah. actually go sourcing a lot with our good reseller buddy who lives very close to us. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, I've definitely noticed more resellers um, now when we go out. I don't know if that's partly because of COVID and there's only a few open, so we're all confined to those few stores. Uh, okay, yeah. But you definitely see more people when, you know, more and more people sort of come up to us and say, oh, hey, like we've seen you on YouTube. Yeah. Like, how's it going? Nice to meet you. So I guess you, you're more aware, but it's also more in your face as well. So you, you probably notice it more because you're looking for it. Um, but there seems to be a lot more people in thrift stores than there ever was. So, But there's so much stock yeah. as well. There's so much waste, unfortunately, mm. and people getting rid of so much stuff that really there's enough to go around. So we don't see it as too much competition. We see it as look harder, yeah. look for something else, go to a new place. And you guys would know a lot of it is like right, right place, right time, or mm. getting to know the schedules of the thrift stores so that you're there when they're putting out new stock and stuff mm. like that, building connections and networking within within your community so that you do get those offers of good deals and people come to you first when they have stuff that they want to get rid of. Nice. So what oh, go ahead. So what do your friends and family think when when they, they hear that you're resellers and you've got this YouTube channel? Well, they come over for dinner. Yeah, and they see all of your <laughs> stuff. And then uh, kind of tagging along that, sorry to add like a second question to that, but like how is reselling seen in, in Australia? Like how do people see it as a profession? Like what's the general opinion? It is mixed. We're really lucky that our families are super supportive. Mm. I'm sure our mums will watch this. So hi, mum. Our friends are interested in it. They're always kind of surprised when we say we just, you know, spent $20,000 on video games. Um, <laughs> it's a good conversation starter. taken seriously as like a job. People always say, you know, um, do you have a real job? Yeah. <laughs> I think the more we sort of like share on Instagram and show people like what you're able to do in the reselling space and how much money you can potentially make if you put in the effort, the more interest is involved. So the more people come to us and be like, oh, like I want to get into it. Like you guys are like, you know, you're doing all these bulk buyers, you're having fun, you're enjoying it. So I think we've been very lucky with our families and, and the general consensus as I said, reselling in Australia is still quite small, so it's probably not as well known as it is in the States, so therefore less people sort of don't really ask questions about it. Mm. Um, but I've never, I've only sort of had one or two people that are like a bit funny about it, but generally people are like more questioning, like, oh, how did we get involved? Like, what do we need to do to learn? Like, mm. you know, asking stuff about posting internationally and, and just stuff about learning, more inquisitive questions rather than yeah. like, yeah, negative all right, so I had a question about your op shop. So one of the things we're dealing with here in San Diego is like our prices keep going up. Even after COVID, we thought there'd be an influx and the price would drop. And I've been 
I've been going to op shops in America lately, and it's it's just been bad. Like it has actually it's getting worse. I don't know why it's getting worse. So yeah. do you guys have the same scenario happening over there? Just as thrifting is becoming more popular. Yeah, and definitely. Give, give us some examples. Yeah, we've we've definitely noticed it. Um, even over the last three years, like when we first started, we were picking up sort of jeans for that sort of, and AUD to US is always hard to convert, but um. <laughs> around that eight Australian dollars, which is, I don't know, probably like six US dollars or something like that. Now we're sort of struggling to get them for like 10 to 15. So it's sort of like, it's kind of pushing its way up to that point where it's, it's becoming harder to get those more viable items, but you just have to find new ways of getting stuff and sort of hit more places to get what you used to be able to get sort of thing. So, I've definitely seen an increase, but again, it's about, you know, we've developed relationships within op shops where managers will give us a little bit of a discount if we're buying, you know, 20 or 30 items at a time because they know they're clearing it. They know people aren't stealing it off the shelves because it's good quality stuff. Um, so I think it, it's all about networking in the end. Um, but And yeah. I think that some of the reason that prices have gone up is maybe because uh, op shopping is more popular or mm. because reselling is becoming more visible, but mostly I think it's because they've actually changed their structure and they're less run by volunteers and they're more, um, stuff. yeah, they're more um, there to actually make a profit and to pay their regular staff. So it's a whole combination. It is frustrating at times though when <laughs> it is. You, you go into an op shop and you see something, you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then you look at price and you're like, I couldn't even get that on eBay. Like, yeah. 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 Do they you, do the, do they do the eBay like a listing? Like you uh, print out the eBay listing next to the item? Yeah. There's a few that we've been into where they've had that and, it's kind of like, oh, we're playing this game. Like, <laughs> you, when when you're on eBay, like, it's a different buyer to a person working walking into an op shop. Mm. Like, it's a different market, and I don't think that all of them understand that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. If I was running an op shop, I'd be wanting to turn that stock quickly because it's secondhand. It's seeing that you've got it for pretty much nothing in most cases. Yeah, you've got some overheads, but I think they're definitely pushing the boundaries of what's kind of achievable. We would definitely be spending more money with them if it was more affordable. Oh, yeah, 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 and you know, we're, I'm pretty blown when I go to the op shops here or the thrift stores. Like, there, I, I remember there was a Mickey Mouse jacket that they were trying <laughs> to sell for three hundred and fifty dollars, and it was a nice <laughs> leather Disney jacket. And then I looked it up, and and the guy looks at me, goes, "Hey," because he knows me. I knew the manager. He goes, "Orlando, I'll give this to you for a hundred dollars less." And I'm like, uh, "No, nah, man, like it's only going for a <laughs> hundred And and he's like. No, uh, how about 200? I'm like, no, like I'm only going to get a hundred, but here's the thing. Somebody now is selling that same jacket on Facebook for 500. So I'm wondering if this person bought it from that store, thought it was high value, went back home and now they're listening. Now they're going to, they're going to be stuck with the jacket for a long time. So, so yeah, it's a very, and, and that's maybe they widen their buyers, but still that's a great point. Like, Thrift stores need to understand that, you know, th- there's only so many people that are going to see a certain item every day yeah. in comparison to eBay. Yeah, where it's customer is not going to spend that $350 on a jacket. Like it's going to be a reseller in general right. that will buy those higher end items because they know that, you know, what they can get for it. So um, it's a hard one because you understand that, yeah, they have bills to pay. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time when they do those eBay prices, they're only looking at listed and they're yeah. going off the highest one, yeah. not the actual folds. Like it, it's not relevant. It's It's not it's not what the market's actually saying that item's worth. Yeah. They just don't have an actual understanding of how eBay works. Same things when we, you know, I go to garage sales all the time and I see that. And, and, yeah. and you know, sometimes I just have the conversation because I do want to like 
lot, a bunch of things together. Usually I just walk away if I see an eBay listing, but, oh, yeah. or they'll just tell me, you know, those sell for whatever on eBay and, and you could show them like, well, there's some listed for that, but yeah, they, they do sell significantly lower than that. And just people don't have that understanding of, you know, yeah. what it's listed for versus what it can actually sell for. Yeah. And I think that comes down to, you know, we're resellers, we understand what eBay is doing. Whereas someone just looking and going, oh, this clamshell VHS sells for a thousand dollars. You're yeah. like, well, it doesn't like, that's ridiculous. But that's like, what I would have done yeah. five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's no. And that's the thing you learn. Like I'll never forget being inside a Salvation Army five years ago and going everywhere and going, there's absolutely nothing to buy. How do people make money here? And now I can walk in and no, I'll always make money. Now I won't find, you know, now I'm pretty picky, right? Like five years ago, you were willing to buy something and make five, $10 profit. Now you're like, eh, I'm only going to pick something up if it's going to make me 30 plus or whatever it is, you know? Now, yeah, you, what's that? Uh, you definitely learn like as, as you go, like I think you become more aware of how long it takes to do something and what value you need to get out of that item at the end of it. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely a good point you made. Uh, we haven't talked about garage sales now. I'm really interested. How do garage like what day of the week uh, do you guys have community garage sales? How do you find them? And what are some negotiation tips or how, how do you score at your garage sales? We don't seem to have as many community garage sales as you guys because we watch lots of YouTube videos <laughs> and we're like, what? That's a whole street. Oh, yeah. As usually, um, we can look on Facebook Marketplace on a Friday night. Uh, or there is an app that yeah. a couple of people have started using. Yeah. Uh, and then usually like Saturday morning is the time yeah. to get it. Yeah. We we definitely don't have as many as, as I see over there. And we have one app called Garage Sale Finder, but it's like only half a dozen people use it. So <laughs> nothing's actually pulled from all the other places. Um, and we have one a year, which is like called the Garage Sale Trial, when um, I think it's like a Saturday and Sunday where like – everyone registers their garage sale on this one website and you can go around and like sort of plan a route and try and find those, you know, more, more in one area. But generally if it's a normal Saturday, you might be able to find five or 10 within driving distance. Um, that's, you know, accessible. Otherwise, yeah, you, you'd have to go maybe an hour, hour and a half to find more than that. So have you done that before driven the hour, an hour and a half, or is that too far for you? Uh, we'll drive as far as we need to, if it's a good deal. So, okay. um, there's a op shop down south that we occasionally mm -hmm. go to, which is an hour and 20, an hour and 30 minutes away one way. So yeah. we'll go there if we need to. Um, but we're quite lucky in our area that we have quite a lot of opportunities. So it's sort of once every sort of three to six months that we might head that far. Otherwise, we'll drive every weekend. We're driving 30, 40 minutes to get to a specific op shop. So we're not, we're not scared to, to travel. <laughs> now, do you guys take your phone out? Like when, when like, I mean, obviously in the beginning you would do it a lot more than you do it now, but is there kind of a stigma to that when you're out garage selling? Oh, at garage sales, I, it's generally a good enough price that I'm just going to go. I'm just going to give it a shot Yeah. more in the thrift stores. I would take my phone out and just casually have a look and they don't know if I'm sending a text message no. or what. I think I was a lot more nervous about it at the start. I was sort of like, oh, everyone knows what I'm doing, but <laughs> everyone's on their phones these days. Yeah, it's true. And most of it, like, I've got so confident with a couple places that I'll actually look up a price at the desk. Yeah, just in front of them. Like, they know what I'm doing already. So, like, I've had a lady that we deal with quite regularly, and she's like, oh, give us 25. And I looked up comps in front of her. I was like, they're only selling for 40. Like, I can't give you $25. I can do this price. And she's like, okay. 
because I was able to show her what we're going to get mm. out of it on the other end. So it can work in your favor. Some some people don't like it, but at the end of the day, everyone's on their phone. So it's unlikely that someone's really going to question what you're doing, I think. Point at you and say, that man's looking up the price. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more you get an understanding. Like there's always going to be something new to learn, so you're mm. always going to have to look stuff up. But you do become more accustomed to what values are and kind of understanding the market, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you you mentioned um, in, in the very beginning, you talked a little bit about, you know, before some bulk buys, maybe you made some mistakes. And I'm sure at thrift stores and some of these garage sales, you probably have picked up some stuff that were mistakes. What are like one or two of like the big like highlights of I, I, I maybe failed here. This is a big mistake. It was a learning opportunity. Um, what were some of those? I, th- I think um, you hit the nail on the head there. We kind of look at them more as learning opportunities because if you're not learning from your mistakes, then you're probably going to make them over again. So uh, the one that we always talk about is before we even started YouTube, we bought, well, I bought two <laughs> pallets of books for 36 bucks and they were just random, every different type of book you can think of. There was some really cool stuff in there, but there was some absolute rubbish that just wasn't worth our time. So we filled two cars to the brim trying to get these back to our house. It took us a long time to sort through. There was a lot of stuff in there that was worth nothing. We spent a lot of time going to like, um, uh, I guess, car boot sales. I don't know what you call flea markets or something like that. Um, And trying to like sell them off for a dollar and two dollars here. And you're spending like five, six hours there to sell, you know, hundred, two hundred dollars worth of stuff. It's just a lot of effort. Um, They take up a lot of room. Our slow sellers, yes, we made money out of it, but it just wasn't worth our investment and mm. our time to make that money. So that's probably our biggest one that we look back on and go, we learned a lot from that experience. And that was probably one of our first bulk buys that we did. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a failure. It was just more work than it was worth. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well put. <laughs> and Jazz was freaking out because we had 20,000 books in the house. Yeah. It was such a hazard. <laughs> It was. This is when we're in our unit. So we only had a two-bed unit at the time. So there was boxes everywhere. Oh, my goodness. All right. So I had a question. So you guys watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of American YouTube. Do you see stark differences? Is it pretty the same? Or what are are some of the differences between reselling Australian and and America? The RA opportunities is a pretty big one, I would say. Like there seems to be sellers in America who just solely buy like shoes like brand new mm. shoes and we're like what how how are yeah. you doing that <laughs> and I, I think our opportunities like our markets so as i said ebay is our biggest market we mm-hmm. have amazon but it hasn't really taken off yet it's quite small you can only sell new items in specific categories um it just hasn't had the effect that it had in america because we're such a vast country like they can't really do amazon prime because mm. they've got like one location and for them to get a book from this side of the country to the other side of the country isn't going to take them a day. It's going to Nothing. take them three days at Nothing's least. Nothing's getting there next day. Um, so it just doesn't have the same same appeal, I suppose. Maybe five years it will, but just hasn't got there. So I think the markets that we have to sell on is a lot less. So we have to sort of like we're stuck with eBay, really. Um, and when For eBay, now. when eBay, well, I don't think that's bad. I I mean, you keep saying you, you know you see retail arbitrage, but Retail arbitrage is like really glitzy. Like it's 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 kind of like uh, yeah, I don't do it at all. I stay away from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And again, I do it. I do a lot of it, and there is something to it. And I think you guys would be great at it because you understand. Me, when you buy a lot, you have to move things fast. 
And I think where mm. people's businesses die in retail arbitrage is, and I personally have lost a ton of money doing RA, is that you buy a lot and you keep holding out and you keep holding out. And then you get yourself in a really big mess. And I mean, we've had some awesome sellers on our show that like Matt Klein hustle who sells Nike shoes and he just goes and I mean, that guy buys all kinds, but he, he said, even in our interview, he makes maybe 10 to $15 per shoe. Right. So yeah. you're, you're talking about, you know, margins are pretty tough and you got to move stuff. So, so I don't yeah, know. Okay. Are. But there, there is, there is that, I mean, there, there is that opportunity, but man, the competition here is, is intense. Oh, yeah. Intense. yeah. We, we did talk about it before, like kind of like trying to weigh up differences and, yeah, we don't have those opportunities, but we don't have as much competition as well. So it's kind of like you lose one thing, but you gain another thing. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is the actual people that we can sell to. So as I mentioned before, we have sort of 25 to 28 million. I don't know what it is at the moment. And I think five to 8 million of those have eBay accounts. And unless you're willing to do international markets, which we do, but then the buyer has to pay shipping and which is quite expensive from Australia. So I think our biggest restraint is our market size. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. We just don't have the numbers of people. So how yeah. often do you guys do international sales? And let's say you get, let's say I wanted to buy something from San Diego. What does that look like on your end? Like costs and everything? Yeah. So generally I think that depending, like say I was sending a shirt to you, it's probably going to cost me, I don't know, $22 or something like that, $24, depending on the weight and that sort of stuff. And that's just standard shipping. That's not like express or. And there's no tracking. Like no, uh, there is tracking, but it's okay. not great. <laughs> it um, says it's left Australia. Yeah, Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if it's over 500 grams, then uh, I don't even know what that is in ounces. Um, but half a kilo, if it's over that, then it just skyrockets. It goes. One Straight kilo, three kilo, and they're like, yeah, it's like two pounds. Yeah. So I guess our US customers, they usually get a good conversion rate though. Mm. So they're getting a better deal, but then they're paying a huge chunk on post yeah. and they're waiting for it. So usually they can find that in America. We have to have a really cool, really unique item no. for them to come to us. <laughs> I get it because I sell stuff via global shipping to Australia and it's it's expensive. Like I've sold, uh, I sold like an Australian military hat. I remember, and the hat was like eighty bucks. The shipping was like one hundred and twenty bucks. Yeah, um, and it was because we don't have global shipping. Yeah, we don't have GSP. Um, we just have like Australia Post, which is our like national provider, and we That's it. do everything through them. So there's no like third party involved, and it's still expensive. So I don't really understand like how it works, but I guess because we don't have. Again, we don't have the population size, so it costs us more to do those sorts of things. Mm. Like a standard, our cheapest rate of postage um, for something that needs to be tracked, and this is only because we're on band four, um, which is like the highest band you can be. We get a bulk discount. Yeah, is like around six dollars, and that's for any item. That's your best best, best price. price. If you want, if you can send stuff by a letter, but you're not getting any tracking, and yeah. that's two dollars twenty to three dollars thirty. So it's. Postage is expensive no matter what you're sending. It's just just what it is. Okay, can I I want to ask a tax question. Can I ask a tax question? Because I know your tax structure is different. Yeah. Do you do you have does do you have to at the end do you have to report your taxes like income tax or is it already built into your system when you make your sales? Uh so you we, have to report it. Okay. So um it depends how you set up. Like we're set up as a um sole trader business and 
we actually pay our tax quarterly. Um, okay. You're so they care. base it on last year's last year's numbers, which they'll probably will, they'll probably charge us again more because we've done more than last year, which is a good and problem. Then, yeah, yeah, it's a good problem. And if you uh, if you turn over more than seventy five thousand, you start paying GST as well, which is a ten percent surcharge. Huh. Um, so we've had to factor that in into our, our model as well. Um, you do not want to go just over nah. seventy five. If you're going to push over seventy five thousand in Australia, you want to then skyrocket to make it worth it. Because then every year after that, doesn't matter if you've done twenty dollars for that year, you're going to pay GST. <laughs> wow. So. As soon as you hit that threshold from then on, you're paying GST. doesn't matter. At the start of the year, it starts again. You're paying it. Wow. So, um, yeah, you, you want to be... What is GST? Can you define GST? I'm, I'm really interested. Uh, I don't... It's like, I think it's goods, goods and, services and services tax. Okay. Um, so they brought it in quite a while ago um, to try and like bring more money into the government and stuff like that. It As just, taxes just do. <laughs> add, add, just they wanted more money. So they put it on a lot of things that, sort of get bought and sold so yeah no it's just it's good to know because we, we hear all the time reselling like you should only make so much money in reselling because then you, you have to report it like here it's uh paypal sure. won't send a 1099 unless you make more than 20k so yeah. there's a lot of part-time resellers that will purposely stay under 20k and i'm like what no <laughs> like, uh, like uh, why limit yourself right and then yeah uh, and i get it i mean for us you know after we make over 100k it gets it gets kind of dicey right more we have graduated income tax so Yes. The government takes more money, but I'm still making more money. It's still worth it to yeah. me. But you're yeah. right. Why would you give away 60 cents to pay 30 cents? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. you're making more so you can afford to pay more. Like, yeah. we yeah. have had that said to us, like, make sure you don't go over that 75. And we like, no. just said, well, if we're only, not only, it was a big number for us, but we said, if that's our gross that we're going to do every year then that net profit that is not going to pay our mortgage and replace both mm -hmm. of our incomes yeah. so no way we're shooting for the stars yeah that's good to know are any other differences uh our tax system is complicated <laughs> no, no, no no not about taxes i yeah we're, we're good with the taxes but about like sourcing <laughs> reselling in the platforms yeah i think that's good okay i don't know guys have big stores we only sort of have one or two that are like decent size like we have a couple of savers but they're only in adelaide and melbourne oh the bins oh yeah we don't oh, you have, guys have bins oh you don't have bins okay yeah we don't they really have, in san diego either <laughs> yeah they have one or two like there's a like one in sydney or two in sydney and one in wa but that's like literally the only ones i've ever heard of in australia so um we don't really have those those kind of things either so yeah, and our bins vary. Um, some of our bins you have to like come in with like armor, and then yeah. and then other bins is like everybody's really nice and like oh go ahead look at mine. It, it just it very much varies. So, yeah, so I'd like to try it out, but I, yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I think it, it's worth trying like, once, at least once. Yeah, yeah. I would be nervous about the etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. So what are what are uh, maybe one or two pieces of advice that you would give a, a new reseller? Imagine yourself three years ago, you're just starting off, you're selling your first video games. What would you wish somebody would have told you? Uh, have a good inventory system from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so when, when we started, like we had no idea what we're doing. We had no idea what we were going to potentially get to at any point. We just had like a rack, like probably one of those racks was six tubs on it. So it was really easy to find items. We didn't really think that we would need to like label stuff and we didn't work use out our custom. We just knew where stuff was, right? But then 
as we started building, I was like, yeah, I don't remember what that is. Like I've got 20 tubs now. How am I supposed to know? And then you spend 20 minutes trying to find a shirt. So inventory system, I would say, is probably one of our biggest mistakes. And now we're up to date and doing well with it. But early on, we didn't understand that's so important. Yeah, do it from the start. <laughs> and I think the other one is never compare yourself to anyone else because mm-hmm. your circumstances are so different to anybody else. Um, you know, they might have more time. They may have better sourcing opportunities. But set goals for yourself and reach your own goals rather than looking at somebody else and going, I want to achieve that. Like, Set we all need guidelines. and want different things and we all have different restrictions and yeah. yeah. Never compare. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, that that's genius. No, that is it's it's key because you don't know people's situation. Like you don't know how much people need to live. Like I always see the 90 day total. And I'm like, well, if they're doing RA, I know that 90 day totals, maybe only 30% of that is net, right? At the most 50, right? If it's eBay, it's even better. If, I know people that go to the bins and they only have like a 20k you know, 90 day total, but like hmm. 19K of that is actually net profit, yeah. right? Because yeah. they went to the bins and they paid like pennies on the dollar for items. So, yeah. All right. So talk to us. So you guys scaled pretty quick, right? I I, I think you guys scaled pretty quick. Maybe, maybe I've been comparing myself to you guys, but anyways, uh, so <laughs> after two years, pandemic hits, yeah. how did that affect you guys in the beginning? And did things get better or worse? And how did you guys adapt? I think adapt is the key word. We went into it thinking, let's make an active decision to be positive, to adapt, to find ways and make this an opportunity rather than just throw our hands up in the air. So we were lucky that we did have some death pile, (laughs) but we ran out. So we kind of, yeah, we looked at it, what we needed to get done as well. And all those things that you put off like inventory. Dark take. um, And we made a conscious decision to make sure we did those things in this time when we can't go outsourcing. Um, we looked at other opportunities outside our normal to make sure that we were still bringing stuff in. In terms of sales, though, like these have probably been our best three months. Um, a, because, you know, Jazzy's now full-time um, and we're listing a lot more and better stuff, but also because more people are home buying. So we said that in our last, like, what sold video because I think um, – you have to take all these factors into consideration when you put out those sort of videos because it's easy to just say, oh, we made this amount of money. But if you haven't talked about why that happened, then it's not really What's relevant. What's the point? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's definitely helped us in terms of sales, but we've had to change a lot of things in terms of sourcing to be able to sustain those numbers. Yeah, well, with all the op shops closed, we actually found ourselves saving money that we would usually be spending every weekend on new stock, which is how we probably ended up with enough money to go ahead and buy a massive bulk lot, mm. which will now see us through for however long. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that is awesome. And, and you know, obviously in, in a time like this pandemic, like it's it's difficult to tell, you know, where this is going to go and, and how it's the long-term impacts this is going to have. Uh, but that being said, especially because, you know, a lot of times we talk to, to resellers who've been doing this for 10, 20 years, and we could say like, where do you see the future going? But it's kind of nice. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new. I've only been reselling for a couple of years. You guys have been reselling for a few years. So where do you see, based off of your current experience with reselling, where do you see reselling going in the next 5, 10, 20 years? It's a really interesting (laughs) question. Yeah, especially here. I do think um, in Australia is is what we know, obviously. Um, Amazon, I think, will take a bit of a bit more of a hold over here. I think it's just going to take time. Australians don't generally like change, so it takes (laughs) a long time to sort of like 
embrace something like that. Yeah. And it's going to take them time to get a foothold. Um, so I think Amazon will be a big one. I think this Facebook talk about Facebook shops and what's potentially going to happen there could potentially move a lot of the market to that sort of platform, but I think it still needs to be some work done there. I think we will see more platforms. Even platforms like Macari seem to be looking at yeah. branching out. We don't know whether they will look into Australia or not, but in some form or another, maybe something we have no idea about yet. Yeah. I think we will end up with more platforms over the next kind of five to ten years probably. And I think Australia has been sort of stuck in brick and mortar for quite a long time. Yeah. Whereas I think this um, as bad as it's been, has probably pushed a lot of stuff online. And I think a lot of business will start moving online, which, you know, some people might say, oh, it's going to flood the online market, but it's going to bring a lot more people to online shopping as well. So um, I can only see that being a benefit long term. Nice. Good. What about you guys? Where do you see you guys here? And like, let's say the next couple of years, are, are you looking to move to a bigger space? Are you looking to scale more? Are you looking to both uh, be full time? Yeah. I mean, what, what are what are and, and we're not going to hold you to it, you know, we're just uh, ideally what do you see? Yeah, we've had a few ideas chucked around and we've got some stuff that we would like to do that is a little bit left to field, but um, <laughs> we kind of had an idea of traveling Australia with a big bus and like decking it out with nice. like racking underneath and just like op shopping around Australia. Um, but after this big game hall, I'm not really sure that's going to happen <laughs> anytime soon. Um but yeah, we'd like to continue to scale. Um, I'm not sure if our, I'm not sure if our total goal is for us to be both full time or if one of us is going to continue to work part time. But we'd definitely like to cut back in the time I spend in a, a day job for sure. Yeah. Um, replace our incomes and just keep growing. Really, like like we sort of said before, the sky's the limit for us. We're not we're not sort of saying, oh, we want to get to. 200k in a year and that's it like i think setting those hard caps is dangerous because then you hit them and you just relax mm. um so i don't have a hard cap for where we want to be we don't really need to employ anyone at this stage maybe in future we will um i think a bigger space might have to happen at some point but um and know. you also you might think you know what you want but you don't know until you do it yeah. we could both go full time and then go you know what i really miss going to a job so i think that we try to allow ourselves to be really open and to kind of let ourselves well, like explore different <clears throat> things. Yeah, grow into what we want rather than setting that hard goal. And, and We're going to be full-time yeah. resellers and, like, if we don't do that, then it's a failure. Like, we're more prepared to just see what actually will work for us. Mm. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's a great attitude mentality to have. And I think that's something that that we should all take, you know, on a little bit more is, is you, you do want to have goals, but not necessarily like an end goal because then that can be limiting. Um, and then too, just being willing to be flexible and adapt because who knows where life's going to take you. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about reselling is it kind of opens up those doors and allows for more flexibility where you can say, hey, I want to I want to work a little harder. I want to work, maybe scale back a little bit or you know, I want to quit the day job or maybe I want to go part-time day job just so I have change of scenery. So, But I love how you're willing to go back because I feel in the reselling community, the longer I've been in it, it's like the walk of shame if you ever go back. Like, like it's, it's like yeah. once you go full-time, like if you do anything else, like you're a sellout, like you gave up <laughs> on the game. I'm serious. I, I feel it yeah. more. The longer I've been full Now, I don't plan on going back anytime soon. The longer I'm doing this, the more I want to do this forever. Yeah. Just because I love the independence, the freedom. I don't answer anybody. I get to grow a beard. 
it's it, it, it's all it's all a win. But uh, I really appreciate you guys being real about that because I I don't want anybody to think, hey, if I go full time, like I can't go back if I miss being around people or I miss, you know, working with the team because that that's all valuable. Like that's fun, too. Yeah, I think we don't want to close any doors for ourselves. Yeah. And I think once you're reselling and you've got that as a backup, you can be more picky with what you go back to. So when you don't have a side hustle, you, you kind of you know, we all get stuck in taking a job that pays us money, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because we need money. But if you have side hustle, you can kind of be like, well, you know what? I only want to go back to work two days a week. So I'm going to find a job that suits that. Or I only want to work one day a week. Like you can be more picky because you already have an income. Like, or I was just made redundant and yeah. in a pandemic. So I could have been in a really stressful situation, been scrambling to get work that I didn't want to do, I put myself at risk. I could have been on welfare. So yeah. Recently. Once you've got something behind you, like <laughs> behind you, like this, <laughs> then it just it really allows you so much more flexibility. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Mike has is. Do you want to drop your question? Yeah. So you've already answered uh, like a it, kind of reseller focus. So, what advice would you give a reseller? I like to ask the people that we have on the show, especially because you guys all, everybody we've had on, comes from different backgrounds, different life experiences, have found success in various ways. Uh, and I'm a teacher. And so one of the things I like to do is like to impart knowledge onto students and kind of feel like I get to like give them little pieces of life advice. So I always like to to get that from people too. So if you could offer life advice or maybe like a motto that you live by, something that's like, here's the thing that I kind of, it, it is a motto I stand by or a life advice that I would give to somebody. Uh, what is that? Oh, yeah, we oh. don't we don't put that in the question. Mike keeps wanting me to, but I like the on the spot. He just likes to drop it on people. Yeah, I think like we sort of said adapt a few times. Mm-hmm. Like your life changes so much like when you're young and then when you sort of get to that middle age, life changes, things happen. But if you're able to adapt to the situation and sort of not get caught up in negativity all the time and like there's two ways that you could have taken this pandemic. You could have shut yourself down, you could have shut your store down and not tried to, you know, improve. But you could have taken the other way and looked at your looked at what you're doing looked at what's not working and, and try to change it. So I think just adapt to circumstances and be willing to learn and not shut yourself up from from taking other people's opinion on board as well because, you know, we all have different views and different opinions, but we can learn from each other. I think. That's good. That was beautiful. Do you have any regard <laughs> to that? That works. Be kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's good. At the end of the day, I just always think, guys, just be nice to each other. I like it. It's easy. Do it. <laughs> no, and I, I, I expect you. I mean, I, your YouTube are you guys are always positive, always upbeat on social media. You guys are always dropping content and and put. You know, you have your five dollar challenge, right? What was that, real quick? What's your five dollar challenge that you're doing right yeah, now? Yeah, so I did. Um, it was actually on the back of a comment that one of our friends put in the chat one day. They're like, "Oh, you guys should do a fifty dollar month challenge," and I was like, "That'd be really cool." But I was like, you know, the barrier to entry there, like some people might not have 50 bucks to kind of, you know, just throw out like that. So I was like, let's drop it down to a cup of coffee, five bucks. And let's see how big we can, how many people we can get involved. So the idea is to start with five bucks, like you only have five dollars to your name and turn that five dollars into whatever you can mm. in six months. So we currently have 103 people participating nice. in this challenge. I actually had to close it down. Yeah. So we've had to cap it at those. 103 because yeah, it's a lot of great. admin. And, uh, it's been running for eight days now, and some people are already pretty close to the $200 mark. So, wow. 
Um, it's there's been some fast flips, and I think people are sort of looking at their model and going, you know, well, they're dropping they're, they're dropping their price compared to comps, so they can turn that dollar quicker. Um, and I think it's a good lesson, especially for new resellers, mm-hmm. of what you can do with five dollars. Like you can start with almost nothing and build it into a business, really. Like if if you're smart about it, so. I think it's a cool challenge to get involved in a bit of fun, um, bit of fun banter with a lot of people that we talk to <laughs> regularly. There's always nice. texts flying like, I just sold this item, haha, like I'm ahead of you, like just that sort of fun stuff. And yeah, it's, it's just fun. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, that's how I started. I had a $20 challenge, me and two buddies, and now I do this full time. <laughs> so, yeah. so you know, it could, it could, it could lead to multiple uh, people becoming full time sellers. All right. Yeah. So, hey, uh, where can they find you guys? Two Aussie Thrifters on Instagram, Two Aussie Thrifters on YouTube also? Yeah, same same all over the place. So we're on Facebook as well if anyone wants to check us out there. But most of our stuff gets dropped on YouTube um, and Instagram. Um, yeah, we sort of drop uh, a couple videos a week, one live on a Tuesday night, Australia time. Very, very early yeah. for America. <laughs> um, and we usually put out a pre-recorder on a Friday morning um, just to keep consistent so people wouldn't know where to find us. Nice. Well, hey, we appreciate you guys having on. Do you have any more questions, Mike? No, I mean, I just want to say thank you guys so much. And like I said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, it's nice to to be able to have a civil conversation with you without having to go to blows. (laughs) I was worried about being fed to the lions on primetime primetime Treasure Hunters uh, video there. So, But you guys are awesome. Uh, Well-deserved victory on that show. And honestly, I'm glad that we were able to meet through that because... You know, now I feel like I know you guys better after doing this interview and I, I can see you guys continuing to do well going forward. And one day I'm going to be like, I know those people. Yeah. Now I have reselling friends when I travel to Australia because that that's on my that's on my agenda in the next year. So I don't know. I might, I might bike you guys. So anyways. Uh, absolutely. Calm down. I'll have to clean out the spare room for you. Oh, no. I'm telling you, Australia to me is the one place I've always wanted to go. I mean, actually even possibly live. But that's another story. So anyways. <laughs> Hey, appreciate you guys. Love your energy. Look for Tuasi Thrifters on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. They're phenomenal sellers. They've been scaling. They know what they're doing. So thank you guys for being on the podcast. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Late. Mm-hmm.